I hear him and his corner guys talking, you know, Falang Ginmu. Ginmu is like an expression like we would have, oh, it's a piece of cake. And as soon as you hear them say, Falang, Falang Ginmu, they know, you know they're talking about you, the foreigner. <laughs> so as soon as I heard that, I kind of got pissed. So anyway, we go to start the fight, and the, the guy spits out his mouthpiece. Oh. But at that point, I... I thought, you know, I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> I ended up clipping with right hand on, right on the jaw, man. And he went down and I was like, yes. So anyway, I go to look at the guy and his eyes are wide open like he's dead. And I'm like, damn, I didn't want to kill this dude. Yeah. I mean, it scared me. They were slapping him a little bit, pouring water on him. And then he finally came to him like, oh, man. man. And afterwards... He gives me his shorts. He goes, here, man. Yeah. Welcome, everybody, to the Elevated Canine Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Oscar Mora, and owner and head coach, Muay Thai champion, Walter McClowski, a.k.a. The Sleeper. How are you doing today, Walter? It's an honor to have you. Doing good, guys. Thank you for having me out here, and I uh, appreciate you coming to my uh, humble abode here, Sityatong, L.A. Awesome. Yeah, real quick. Uh, man, I'm really excited. I'm just going to talk a little bit about, you know, how I met uh, Walter. We were in the same uh, Schutzen Club, and uh, this dude would come out there onto the field with his, uh, with his metal music on on his phone. He'd just get into <laughs> the zone, and he'd just go out there and just, uh, you know, do some some good training. He had a dog named Rhino that was freaking huge, Ooh. that would uh, swallow the sleeve. And uh, you know, so we I've I've known Walter for shoot. I want to say maybe like nine, ten years almost already. So, man, we're really excited to to have you on here, man. And we're really we're uh, excited to hear some of these stories. Likewise, brother. Thank you. <clears throat> awesome. So we know you know obviously Oscar is well known in the community for dog sports, and I myself was I am also a dog trainer. Walter also has his own dog who he trains, but today we're going to have an episode focused more so on Walter's accomplishments as a Muay Thai uh, competitor. Martial artist. Uh, a martial artist, a champion at that, uh, a master at that, and uh, someone who's made a name and paved the way for Muay Thai in the United States. So uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, about your story, how you got started, um, and things you've accomplished since then. Okay. Um Originally from the Midwest, came out to California in the 80s. Um, yeah, I was a musician, too. I was a guitar player. I actually came out here to go to guitar school at GIT, which I did. And always been a martial artist. My dad was a boxer. But uh, I got back into martial arts in the 80s, started doing some uh, Bruce Lee Jeet Kune Do concepts with Richard Bastillo at IMB Academy. And one day... Um, I happened to see a friend of his that was there that was a Muay Thai champion in Thailand named Nanfa Siharadecho. And I saw him kicking the bag, and uh, it scared me, man. This dude was kicking this bag so hard. It was like I heard a 12-gauge shotgun going off in there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we end up talking to him. And Thai people are very nice, too. They call it the land of smiles for the most part until you get in the ring with them and then they'll kill you. But <laughs> yeah. so anyway, I met Nanfa and a uh, nice guy and there was about five or six of us there at the time and he sparred with all of us. Wow. And this guy just clowned everybody. I mean, we couldn't even touch him. 
And uh, at that point, just like anything else, just like the first time I put on a sleeve and, you know, took a, took a, a grip from a dog, it was like I was hooked. Same thing with Muay Thai. I got kicked in the leg. I got tossed out of the ring, you know, clinching and kneeing. And I was like, I got to learn this stuff, you know. And uh, that's what it is. You always have to, I think that it's always beneficial to let your ego go and realize that you have to, growth is done when you empty your cup and you yep. can just go ahead and do it. And that's what happened. Cool. So, so from there you went on to, uh, I mean, obviously you wanted to be the best at that so you came to la and then from here you went to thailand or okay interesting story and that ties into nanfa my first coach that's him up on the wall over there so i trained with him about two years and i'm doing pretty good starting to fight amateur fights and bam he just dropped dead he had a heart defect it's in 1991 and he just passed away nobody knew it because he was in like tip-top shape and uh, I remember all his friends, his best friend, put all his gear and stuff together, and they had a ceremony for him at the Thai temple. And these guys, like, had arranged this trip for me to go to Thailand and to go to Sit Yatong camp and train with Crew Yatong. They wrote me a letter to get in, right? Because there weren't that many foreigners that were going over there at the time and doing this. And uh, I wanted to do the, the right way and the Buddhist way and present a, you know, a, a, an offering when you get in the camp. And uh, I, had a, I had a Thai girlfriend and a, a family that uh, kind of helped me out in Thailand at the time. So I went over there after my coach died. And that's when I started at Sit Yatong in Thailand. And who was, would know that years later in 2003, I'd be opening a Sit Yatong camp here in America. That's that's awesome. Were you one of the first Americans to go and train in Thailand? And and was it hard? I mean, I know you said someone had written you a letter, but was it hard for them to accept you once you got there? Well, they didn't accept any of the, the they call them phalangs, the foreigners. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were like, ah, oh, you're just there to party and get hookers and stuff like that and not take it seriously. They didn't even think that we could kick the hard sandbags over there. They didn't, and some Thai people are still like this, they don't think you can eat the spicy food that they have either. (laughs) But I was like, oh. And in America at the time, the martial arts scene as far as kickboxing and competing was really weak. It was really watered down. It was very influenced by karate and boxing. You couldn't kick the legs. You couldn't elbow. You couldn't use knees. None of the stuff which is real Muay Thai. So at that time, you know, I go to Thailand. They're like, where are you from? And in Thai, they say, Pratetalai means where are you from in America. Oh, America, mighty, go Muay Thai. You guys are afraid of Muay Thai. You don't fight real Muay Thai. Right. You do some watered down <laughs> BS. So I'm like <laughs> taking that as like an insult and a challenge. Like, right. hey man, I'll do it. I'll eat your spicy food. I'll do whatever it takes. So I'm living at the camp. I'm sleeping on the floor, just like the, the little kids running with these kids every day at five o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I ended up, at that point, that's the only way to get any respect. You got to do what they do and live the way they live, and then things will happen. You know, you can't get the watered-down gringo version. It's not going right. to work. I, th- yeah. I think in any, like, in most, anything. In, in anything we do, I think, you know, 
people that see that in you that they go hold oh, this 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 dude's really into it he's really being uh dedicated and he's you know he's not trying to take shortcuts because nowadays we see a lot of people just trying to like take shortcuts and yeah. build their following and this and that and they don't really like want to even work under anybody because they feel like youtube university just teaches them everything and so um i think that you know they probably saw something in you that was like yo this dude is actually wanting to learn the the discipline and the you know dude i learned how to speak thai yeah, yeah. It, exactly you know? and so you know that that's awesome how was the culture was there a culture shock for you i mean it's a completely different environment well like i said they didn't take the foreigners seriously and didn't think that we had the the mental fort the the fortitude to to do what the ties did they thought that yeah we wanted the watered down version that we had money can buy our way in and i agree with what you said about the youtube uh, method because I see so many guys teaching what they see on YouTube, but they don't have the experience to be able to do that and uh, haven't really tested it. Right. So, all right. So you get there. You uh, you know you you learn the are you, you're learning the language. They see that you're really taking this serious. Uh, do you start competing out there? How long were you out there before you started like fighting down there and like taking on fights over there? Well. The ties will put you to fight right away, you know, they'll, uh, cause it's, and there's all different levels of fighting. There's, you know, fighting at, uh, the like outdoor fairs and the malls and the bars and the, not as much anymore, but you got to understand too, the time I was in Thailand is referred to as the golden age now, which is the eighties and the nineties, which was the best fights. I mean, okay. that's the legendary stuff. The guys like Samat Piakalun and Nung Pichit. And well, first time I went to Sit Yatong, man, it was just like a hall of fame of champions. There. Legends there. Yeah, they were the, Sit Yatong was the top camp, one of the biggest, you know, and Lumpini Stadium, the old Lumpini Stadium was just like a slaughterhouse of fights too. When I first went there, it just, it just scared me. Man, you know? I, I have a question real quick. So, the the training styles you came from from the u.s to down there how was uh, the training style different and what do you feel like made the biggest impact in your uh growing in in the in the muay thai discipline oh yeah okay definitely the mindset the mindset of the ties they believe that nobody could beat them you know and uh it comes from, there's a Thai legendary uh, soldier that was captured by the Burmese when Thailand and Burma were at war. And this is in all the history books. His name's Naikonom Tom. Naikonom Tom was captured by the Burmese, and he ended up, they arranged fights between Naikonom Tom and some of the Burmese soldiers, and they fought till the death. And the whole thing with the, like the old Jean-Claude Van Damme movie where they dipped the hands in the, Into the glass. blue and broken glass. It's true. Really? They did that stuff. And they fought no rounds, no weight classes till someone was done, dead, you know, or couldn't continue or whatever. And uh, Nike and Om Tome ended up beating nine of the Burmese uh, Mons. And what happened was the uh, Burmese king said, okay, okay, truce. That was it. Got and it. that was, and if you think about that, that's a much more humane way to do battle instead of having thousands of casualties. Right. You basically yeah. got nine. So, 
Wow. That's that's okay. So so that's we have the history. Those guys believe that they. I trained with my teammates that were like, you know what? I'd rather die than lose. Wow. And I got that mentality. And when I came back to the states, I was like, you're gonna have to fucking kill me. Yeah. Wow. You know? Okay. So we got the mentality part of it. What about the the training style? So for example, if yes. if I was uh to you know, correlated to, you know, I mean, if I was to compare it to dog training, it would be, you have the mindset, which I, I almost feel like every time I go into competition, I have, I picture everything. I feel like I already won before I even step into the field. However, what, what do you, what about like methods like of, tr of, of, uh, training? What, what was the biggest difference from here to Thailand? Well, you, did a lot more cardio and the training was twice a day. It's basically all you do because you live at the camp. You don't have a fucking job or nothing. Those, and I felt sorry for some of the kids that were living at the camp. They didn't have BB guns or girlfriends or nothing. That was their life. <laughs> it was their life. Very deprived of like the, the normal things in life that the kids have, like, you know, baseball. They On Sunday, they would pay, play a uh, Thai game called Taka, which is like volleyball with the feet, feet yeah. which is awesome. And that was like the high point of it, you know. So uh, um, I know we're kind of going away a little bit, but uh, we're... Were they like, did you see them as like being super happy though? Even though they didn't have like some of the things that we have here, do you see like that there's some happiness there? Like they're, they're not oh, like looking totally. at, yeah, yeah, they're not like, uh, they're not dependent on like, oh, I, I don't have this toy or this or that. You know what I'm saying? Well, now, now it's a totally different game. I mean, right. now the technology's taken over and they have a lot more stuff. And soccer is kind of took over as the number one sport where Muay Thai was the national sport and the big things, not so much. But um, yeah, I think it's a simpler life. And one thing I liked about it is I kind of lost track of time and days. What day is it? What time is it? Because you train twice a day. You're getting up so damn early in the morning because it's super hot. So we had to be jogging at sunup so it wasn't too hot. And that's one of the main differences too. You ran 10K in the morning, trained for two hours or so. Then you would eat, sleep in the midday and the whole like noontime in Thailand kind of shuts down because it gets really hot and then they will shut down. Then they open up again and then you do another afternoon run 5k, which is three some miles and you train your afternoon session, which is longer, like about a three hour session and you'll do some clinching and sparring and hard pad work. And then, uh, you train twice a day. And when I was there the first time I'd been there a week, and I was like, wow, I looked at myself in the mirror, I'm ripped. I get on a scale, shit, I'm at fight weight. Wow. I'm like, wow, I'm ready to do a fight right now, which a fight camp for me was like a month, month and a half to get ready for a fight. But when I was over there, I was like, wow, I'm ready to fight, and it's only been a week. Wow. And I realized, because I'm training twice a day, and it's super hot, you're in like a sauna, so you're cutting weight, and it was, the intensity of it was much more, but you didn't really didn't seem like it was but that's because i think you you really loved it and you were obsessed with the process of becoming you know something or somebody in in that in that sport right? i was driven i mean like like i say rather die than lose yeah 
Tell us about one of your most memorable memorable fights while you were in Thailand. Okay, uh, uh, memorable was was member one uh, uh, was uh, Pattaya Stadium. Not a big stadium, but a, it was a really cool stadium. It's in an area of Pattaya called Pattaya Nua. Um, I don't know if they have it anymore, but I fought uh, Photong Saw Priyapan, was a ranked Thai fighter. He was good. So anyway, uh, we were matched up to fight and everything, and uh, it was the main event. I was co-main event. There's a poster on the wall. And uh, so anyway, I can speak Thai. I can understand it pretty well. And uh, I hear him and his corner guys talking, you know, Falang Ginmoo. Ginmu is like an expression like we would have, oh, it's a piece of cake. Right. Gin, Easy work. Gin is to eat. <laughs> Mu is a pig. Eat the pig means like for us to say, yeah, piece of cake, no problem. And as soon as you hear them say, Falang, Falang Ginmu, they know, you know they're talking about you, the foreigner. <laughs> so as soon as I heard that, I kind of got pissed. And I was like, okay, it's going to be a piece of cake, huh? Okay. <laughs> and I had been boxing with Freddie Roach a lot and Justin Fortune up at Wild Card, and I, my hands are really on point. And I knew I'm going to touch this guy up in the first round pretty good and see what he's about. And then we go out to start the fight and touch gloves and everything. And in Thailand at that time, the mouthpieces were not... You had to wear one, but if you spit it out, they didn't really care. I Got mean, it. it wasn't... Actually, punches are not scored as high in Thai boxing as elbows and kicks and knees. And The last two rounds of a Muay Thai fight, the f- round four and five, are primarily clinch work and knee work. And that's how... A Muay Thai fight is like chapters of a book. It's different than boxing. So your first round will be kind of a feel-out process and... You want to be intelligent and, you know, uh, you want to be calculated in a strategy, setting up a strategy. Second round will elevate a little bit. Third round, once again. But fourth round is where you will test the clinch. Clinch, they call it plum in Thai. That is a very integral part of Thai boxing. And then the Fifth round is the really intensified version of it, and the elbows really come into play at that point too. And you get a lot of cuts. Most of the stadiums in Thailand, like you know, I kind of tripped out the first time I fought in a stadium because they have an infirmary there and everybody's getting stitched up. Wow. I mean, I've been cut several times. I All mean, right. So, yeah. so we go back and you're like, I'm gonna touch this dude up. Right. Then- so anyway, we go to start the fight and the. The guy spits out his mouthpiece. Oh, no. Nah. And he goes like, to fight me, and he you. gives me this look like... <laughs> hey, that's disrespect right there. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. But anyway, so at that point, I, I you know, I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> uh, I, you know, that was it. And and we exchanged a few times, and you, I think it's on my highlight reel, but I, I ended up clipping with right hand on right on the jaw, man. And he went down, and I was like, "Yes!" You said it's going around. So I go back and look at him, and he's out. This is you know a minute goes by or so, and you know he's out for a little while. I go over and look at him to like you know, hey, good fight or whatever. Like you know, it's a sport. I'm a sportsman. It's not a street fight. So anyway, I go to look at the guy, and his eyes are wide open, like he's dead. And I'm like, "Holy shit!" I didn't. And the crowd got quiet. 
No. And I'm like, damn, I didn't want to kill this dude. Yeah. I mean, it scared me. So, and I didn't know what to do. And then finally he came to, they were slapping him a little bit, pouring water on him. And then he finally came to him like, oh man. man. And afterwards, you know, and like I said, for the most part, Thai people have always treated me very well. And uh, they're very nice in, in nature. And uh, afterwards, he is like, his girlfriend was crying and stuff. And he, he gives me his shorts. He goes, here, man. You know. Dang. And, uh, we were friends. Are those the ones up there? Those yeah, the those are the ones, ones on, the on the wall. It's yeah. kind of like a scalp for an Indian <laughs> man. battle, right? Hey, that that's cool, though. He kind of accepted, like, yo, this dude just whooped respect. my ass. Well, you know, there's respect in battle. Yeah. You know, like I said, we don't want to necessarily kill each other. or or It's not... A full-on war and uh you know it's a mutual warrior respect thing which i think is very important you know i mean and i try to instill that in the guys i train too that you know hey touch gloves and shake hands you know right it's it, it's, it's a sport it is a sport so what what uh how, how do you see like uh you know the sport of muay thai and because you do a lot of dog training as well i know you you know you been doing it for years much as i have time for yeah so like uh how, how do you what's what's the similarities in it uh when it when it comes to maybe even raising a, a dog and maybe grooming a fighter yeah well that's a good question oscar and i know you you really think outside the box and you're very forward moving with your and that's why you've been so successful but uh I think that uh, there's a lot of similarities, man, in the training process and the developing of a fighter because, well, going back to a coach I had years ago, Thai coach, would always, and he was a great coach. I never lost under this, this guy, man, but uh, he would always tell you when you were doing something wrong or when you looked tired or when you looked weak. It was funny. Yeah. But it was all negative, yeah. you know. It's kind of negative reinforcement. When you were doing well and really re just like rocking the pad work and, you know, scoring, and I, I'd spar with people and I was having target practice. He didn't say nothing. So I got to the point where, oh, this guy, when he doesn't say nothing, I know I'm doing good. Right. So I started like, reading ahead of it there. And I remember thinking to myself, when I start coaching, I don't want to be like that. I want to be like, you know, and I was influenced by the Napopo system, the Bart Ballone thing mm -hmm. too. And the, you know, who uh, turned me on to that was uh, Robbie DeJong. Got it. Yeah. The D Dutch uh, champion. Yeah. And a uh, great dog trainer. I learned a lot from him. And uh, it was, you know, giving the correction when needed at the appropriate time. You have to have the right time frame so the dog knows when he's making the wrong behavior, not, well, are you just beating me up or what? And when the correct behavior is happening to give the, the reward, the praise. Right. And the same thing with training, training fighters. And I don't patronize my, my clients or my fighters and tell them they're doing well when they're not because that could get them hurt but when they're doing wrong i'm not going to just focus on all the negative stuff i will correct them and say no you can't do that you're going to get knocked out you have to cover at a certain point in a certain technique or whatever it may be 
I need you running every day. You can't be, cut out the alcohol, cut out the substance abuse or anything like that. If you want to win, I mean, you, right. you can drink after your fights if you want. That's up to you. I don't, I didn't party when mm-hmm. I was fighting, you know, and uh, it was only after I retired that I, I you know, would, would do that type of stuff. And that you got to watch that because you may not, as a fighter, you have a time frame where you can prepare for, you know, about, and if you're doing other things, they're going to detract from that. You're probably going to lose. You're not going to perform at your peak. Mm. The same thing with dog training, and it's the same thing with corrections and rewards. So if I see a, a fighter that's doing really well, I'll tell him, hey, man, that's really good. Keep doing that. You're going to be a world champion. And I can see him light up. Yeah. Same like you build up a dog. You build more drive or whatever it may be doing. Right, 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 right. Hmm. I like that. Awesome. So uh, you also recently got into competition shooting. Love it. And obviously you love competition. Um, so you've competed as a Muay Thai competitor. You've also competed with your dog, I believe, correct? Yep. You've, you've Nationals got it twice. Yep. IGP, <laughs> right? Nationals twice. Have you competed in competitions as a competition shooter? Is it something you're still new at? Uh, and what are your goals with it? Um, it's probably my latest addiction. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> same thing like with dog training, you know, I was hooked immediately. Same thing with Muay Thai. You know, I think I got kicked in the leg and I was like, I gotta learn this stuff, you know, and uh, I don't do nothing halfway, you know. It's like C.T. Fletcher says, obsession is a necessity. And it if is. If you want to succeed 100%. If you want to make it to the top, yeah, if you want to be a champion, you know, but uh, I'm just like that anyway. I guess it's part of the nature, but um, I uh, ended up... Uh, Getting in, I'm from Indiana, so we had guns in our backyard. My dad was a career military guy. He was a World War II veteran. And so I was, you know, taking apart guns and shooting guns since I was a little boy in kindergarten age. And uh, I had a student that was a, uh, he was a master master level three gunner, actually. And uh, he took me to a pistol match. And I, I had a pistol, and I was like, yeah, I know how to shoot. I'm pretty good. And then he took me to a Prado running gun, and uh, wow, I didn't know shit. These guys were <laughs> fucking another level, man. They're really good. And a lot of good Filipino shooters, man. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Norco and all those guys uh, out there. And uh, I was like, oh, same thing. I got to learn this. Man, I got to hook on that one next. And uh, so anyway, uh, my uh, guy, the student, was like, you got to meet Taryn Butler. You know, he, he's going to like you. He, he kind of is a martial arts enthusiast, too. And he works in the movie, you know, with a lot of movie people and this and that. So he took me to meet Taryn. I had my guns done up by Taryn Tactical and uh, we hit it off right away. I started training Taryn and all these, you know, actors and actresses and his fitness models and, you know, and they were really into training. And I, and Taryn, if you don't know Taryn Tactical, they're the guys behind all the, the John Wick movies, uh, two and three, uh, Keanu Reeves. Halle Berry. Trained, yeah, Halle Berry. They all trained with Taryn Butler and, you know, he's a multiple He's like I am in Muay Thai. That's you know, awesome. Multiple world champion and all these different, uh, you know, three gun and Ipsic and, you know, he's uh, uh, 
we're really lucky to have a guy of that level out here to work with. So anyway, I start going out the range and I'm shooting a little bit at, at Terrence place. And I start, you know, holding pads for all the people there. And, uh, you know, I ended up meeting Ryan Guzman and Christiani and, you know, a bunch of, uh, people out at, uh, Terran tactical and still do, awesome. you know, JJ Perry from 8711 uh, stunts. And, uh, so anyway, I ended up, uh, I'm getting pretty good at shooting, right? And Taryn was like, well, Walter, you're not bad, man. You're pretty good. I'm going to put you on the team. He makes me a jersey. <laughs> I give him my Sitya Tong logo. And uh, next thing you know, I'm uh, shooting with the Taryn Tactical jersey and out there. And I've been doing it. I shoot every weekend. And I've been doing it for like five or six years now. And I've gotten pretty good. I'm a B-class USPSA shooter right now. I'm hopefully going to be a class pretty soon. I just did a couple a class classifiers. So, awesome. and after that, there's just master and grandmaster level too. So I'll be like a IPO three. Got it. <laughs> so it, that is like, that's the next goal. Exactly. And that's <laughs> another martial art to me. Yeah. It's all the dog training, the Muay Thai, the USPSA competition shooting, which could be related to, to me, I don't look at sport dog training as that different from real world protection dog training. There's a lot of similarities. I try to see the similarities and things as opposed to the differences because you can grow more. Got it. And like my old dog, Rhino, I remember a guy got in a little bit of an argument with me one time talking about, well, you just trained sport dog training. I trained for real and all this. <laughs> and you, you remember Rhino that <laughs> he was he a was scary serious. dude. Yeah, he was serious. I mean, you tell me that you go in my backyard with a dog like that, that you're not going to get bit. Nah. You know, I don't care if you're training Schutzen or whatever. It's right. all tied in. There's some common threads there. And I feel the same way about competition shooting. It's going to, your gun handling is much better. You can clear malfunctions on the fly and stuff like that. It is the same thing with Muay Thai. Muay Thai is a sport, yep. but you can easily fight with it. Oh, yeah. For real. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sport. But, and, you know, and people say, oh, it's the sport versus the, the real thing. And I think I, I relate this a lot to, like, you know, like I, you know how Mike Tyson was like, hey, like, you think it's, you know, every, like, you, you might be good until you get punched in the face or something like that, right? And, and like dogs, I feel like some dogs, they could be amazing shuts in three dogs. And that doesn't mean they're going to be a great home protection dog. But then you could have a dog that's, IGP one shuts in one and then it's an amazing protection. I think at the end of the day, it comes to the genetics of the dog and the heart of the dog. However, it will come into play that your dog has some knowledge of how to deal with pressure. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you're going to be able to control your dog a lot better because you have, you have worked on controlling your dog at a high state of arousal going to fighting. I think it goes to, you know how to react under pressure because you've been in the ring fighting. So somebody that, you know, might go crazy fighting in a street fight and a fighter might look at it back away, do a couple moves that he knows, and he's a lot more composed, right? I mean, is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Then shooting, obviously, the muscle memory of bringing out the gun and shooting is going to be a lot faster than somebody that doesn't have that muscle memory. Well, there's similarities and there's differences, like, like anything, with shooting, they used to have a uh, saying they had 
competition shooting will get you killed. Because <laughs> it's a not lot, real. Right. A lot, a lot of the guys that were, you know, Delta operators and, you know, had been in some experiences were doing competition shooters. Some of the top guys, and they all say, do competition shooting. Got it. Because <laughs> of gun handling, thinking on the fly, the pressure. I mean, you can't practice by shooting live bullets at each other. Right. So, it's, yeah, like that's what I'm saying. Like that yeah. pressure of the like pressure. being in a real situation, like how can you recreate that? Like, exactly. And your dog feels it too. I mean, your connection as the handler with the dog, he can feel your nerves, he can feel your indecisiveness and things like that. They can pick, you know how they say it travels down the leash. Yeah. It's very similar. And with fighting, it's so similar too. Here's another thing about fighting though. We're used to getting hit. We get hit in sparring, you know, and you've taken a couple shots. Whereas a street fighter, too, you know, he's been in a couple fights. Okay, but that takes its toll on you, too, you know. And you can be weakened down by really getting cracked or getting hit over the head with a baseball bat, you know. But we're sparring where we can endure some of the stuff. We got gloves on, we got headgear, shin pads, stuff like that. So we can actually get that that pressure and get used to, they call it tempering, body tempering, where you're used to getting hit, where it doesn't phase you. So got you it. get hit, you're like like the ties. I got this from the ties. Like, you'd hit them and they'd smile at you. Okay, you got me. <laughs> right. Cool. All right. Now now we'll see how you like it. <laughs> right, right. You know. So, so, I mean, right now that we're talking about this, why don't we just segue into the... You know, uh, what, what was he saying last time about how he traveled to... Oh, yeah, you had went back to Thailand and uh, you'd gotten uh, jumped, I guess, by some of the gangsters that were out there. Yeah, um, yeah, I was in Pattaya one time and uh, there was three uh, of these guys. They weren't Thai because I, I spoke to them and I didn't understand what they were saying. These guys were... One of them just read. I had a fanny pack where I was carrying, you know, my wallet and stuff like that on because I just had like gym shorts and tennis shoes on. And one of them reached in my fanny pack and would start grabbing my money. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> and uh, uh, next thing you know, another guy hits me on the head with a bottle. Boom. I got a gash in the back of my skull. And I'm bleeding all over the place. And they thought, you know. That was it. That was it. They were done. They didn't know it was the sleeper was coming. <laughs> you smiled at him? Okay. I, did, I, I started laughing. I got, okay, I guess we're in a fight now. <laughs> and I remember I kicked the one dude on the side of me. And then I, I punched this other guy about three times in the face. And the third guy just took off running. <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, nah, I don't want none of this. <laughs> so I started chasing him, right? And next thing you know, the cop stopped me. And uh, this is all kind of foggy because I had a big old gash. They had to take me in the hospital and stitch me up. But luckily, this this elderly lady saw me and she was like, because they were going to arrest me. And uh, this old lady saw me and she's like, no, 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 no. He's a good guy. She said, no, those are guys that are the thieves. Wow. And pointed at them. He said, no, he didn't do nothing. You know, and they they actually took me to the hospital. The police did. Police in Thailand are pretty nice, too, Dang. the ones I ran into. Was that a good time? It was. <laughs> like whooping somebody. I don't know. It was. Uh, <laughs> like the adrenaline rush and everything? Yeah. I, you, know how, you know how these, like, protection uh, dog guys are like, oh, I can't wait till my dog gets a live bite. You were like, hey, this is a real fight. 
<laughs> Not really. I, I don't look at it necessarily like that because I've been in a you know quite a few situations like that. You know, like in in my younger days, and you know, hanging around with some of the bikers, uh, I hung out with a years, you know, with an outlaw bike club for a long time, you know, and we uh, got in a few bar fights and things like that, and uh, you know, so I was kind of just another thing. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think that, uh, you know, being involved in uh, like Muay Thai the way you are and everything, uh, does that help you control yourself a little bit more, you think? Uh, like, you know, like like if somebody did come out and was like, hey, like, you know, try to start something with you, does that control your emotions or are you just, you know, you, you think that's just every person is different in how... Uh, I think it definitely helps you control your, you know, anger and put it this way, if you're in the gym... And you're getting your ass beat and you're getting really tired too. Fighting is extremely fatiguing. I mean, they say cardio is king. Fatigue makes cowards out of men Yeah, for a reason because it is super exhausting, not only in a cardiovascular sense, but in your, your nervous system is, system is put to such a stress and then you compound that with if you're around a live audience. And then you compound out maybe you're on television or being filmed too. It's just more and more, more and more stress. If you're not comfortable being uncomfortable, that's the wrong sport for you. Wow. Because you won't be able to handle the pressure. You got to be able to stay calm. You got to weather the storm too because the other person's trying to take your head off and hurt you it's not they're just trying to win they're trying to win decisively which means you laid out right so you're going to have to be able to stay calm and to be able to handle those things so what ends up happening i had this happen too i remember one time i <laughs> i'd been sparring boxing i'm busted up hurting and i'm driving home and i'm just like you know mellow mellow as hell mm -hmm. and i'm driving home and somebody cuts me off in traffic next thing you know this guy's flipping me off fuck you puto nah. <laughs> and he's like ready to get out of his car i'm like ah whatever man right you know unless you like are throwing down on me or right. attacking me i don't really care if you call me some names or whatever it's nothing you know if they attack you yeah that's a different story right you have to deal with it and you're more prepared to deal with it and you have a little more skills in your toolbox but for the most part it does settle you down same thing with dog training man when i first got into dog training some of the people that didn't understand it they were like wow you're teaching your dogs to be vicious they're teaching them you know, all this bite work and all right. this stuff don't you think that aren't you afraid they're going to turn on you or bite some little kid and what happens is i mean you know this as well as anybody they're actually more calm. 100%. More manageable because they get that energy out. Right. I think some of these like mass shooters and these crazy kids are probably locked up and internalized and isolated and put in yep. some sort of like we've been locked down in this pandemic. Right. It's messed up a lot of people's mental health. Man, yeah, I want to touch on this because uh, so the, what you just said right here is to me one of the most important uh, things that... And, and I feel and, and that needs to be brought up more in dog training. You know, people say, you know, they, they you're going to go, you're going to get a German Shepherd because that's the breed that you saw when you were a little kid and you want to, 
And then you're going to go, you, and this German shepherd has a genetic in him that has certain traits. And these things have to come out somewhere. So it is, as, an, as the owner, it is your job, I, in my opinion, to see where you could put these things, which would be the same as a kid like me. I, I was kind of a troublemaker growing up, right? And, and uh, so I was in sports and, you know, boxing, and then I did some so- baseball, soccer, and ultimately I got into music and, you know, so, but I had, and I had to go somewhere all this time that, you know, my head, my head's always spinning and, you know, thinking about new things. So that's why I think, you know, dog training worked for me, but I feel like, and that's why, like for pit bulls, I think it's amazing. It's great that they have all these like hang time, you know, activities and like pull, weight pulling because they have, you know, they have a genetic that needs to come out somewhere. And if you just try to shut that down by not exp- like not letting it come out like, hey, well, you're you're not going to work your dog like this because you don't want him, you don't want him to show that side of him. Well, that side is still going to come out. And it can come out in the wrong place. And I think yeah. with with us humans, you know, people, maybe if you didn't do uh, Muay Thai and did the, you know, that level or or, or Royal Royal did some fighting, you would have probably done something else mm-hmm. that would have been a lot worse for you, right? Oh, 100%. It's an outlet. It's it an outlet. It's an outlet. And, and for, like, I was a very angry kid. And uh, one of the things that helped me really tremendously was learning a martial art. And... Um, that was huge for me. And I see it with my dog as well. Just like you said, my dog is a pit bull. And we see it all the time uh, with dogs who are problematic or, um, you know, have a lot of energy and owners don't know what to do. And then we find something that gives that dog an outlet. And all of a sudden, the dog's more calm at the house. Right. And the dogs, some of the issues that they had prior to giving the dog an outlet kind of just dissipate on their own. Yep. So when with humans, it's just yeah. like you said, with martial arts, it's the same thing. I think it was smart the way the Germans put together the Schutzen for the breed standard like that too because the tracking, the dog's nose, the scent of this, the dog's yeah. number one asset. Number two, the obedience and the athleticism going over the jumps, the retrieves, the dogs are made to bring things back. And then the protection work, the bite work, they've got to bite, they've got to bark, they've got to, they learn how to, to release, how to bite with proper technique with the molars. How to show aggression. Yeah. When I mean, to it's show all it, yeah. like planned out in almost like an academy of learning. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's something, you know, and, and like you said, in, uh, in Thailand, you know, they, they groom them from very young age to, to be fighters and everything. Or, you know, they, they, they get put into these uh, situations where they get put through stress at a young age. But then I think it just creates way better adults. You know what I mean? And I mean, what, what do you think about that? Um, Thailand's a little bit different because it's done as a occupation. Got it's it. like those kids are put into situations where they have to provide money for the families. So they become almost like little racehorses or Oof. something, you know, or, uh, yeah, like a, uh, an animal kind of that wow. is used to produce monetarily for the family and, and stuff like that. But it does have a lot of positive aspects also, mainly being you have to live a clean lifestyle. You have to be healthy. And you're going to be exercising every day. I mean, it's extreme. I mean, it's beyond fitness. But um, the you can't be using 
alcohol and drugs if you're to, to be competing su- successfully as a, a athlete in Muay Thai because it's just too damn dangerous. And I like that about it. You know, I, I wasn't really drawn as much to sports where the stakes weren't as high. I liked, you. there was no room to mess up in Thai boxing because you would, you know, it's not, not like playing golf, which I like playing golf, but, you know, it's like, oh, gosh, fellas, I'm sorry I didn't play too good today. If you, you know, have a bad day in Muay Thai, you're like, oh, man, my, now my nose is broke and my ribs are broke and right. I got to get stitched up. It's a little more serious. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and you want to be able to remember your own name when you go home. <laughs> that is that is true. For sure. Yeah, yeah, it definitely keeps... I mean, we were young. I was in my early 20s. And a lot of the guys... Shout out Escondido Fight Club. This was back in 2010, 2011. We were just a bunch of young guys from the hood, from the neighborhood who were just trying to stay out of trouble. And having that, you know, somewhere to go to a gym, having goals in mind... Um, you know, having a coach telling us, like you're saying, don't do this, don't do that, stay out of trouble, it really did help. Well, I think what you hit on is a really big thing because, and I, I've worked with a lot of uh, youth that are obviously headed down the wrong path, and I see it because I've been there myself. And for me, I mean, I had to have a sport where I had to take it seriously because if I didn't, I was getting the truth beat into me, you know, and I needed that. If you told me, Hey, don't do that. You're going to wind up in prison or whatever. I'd be like, yeah, whatever. I'll figure it out for myself. But if I ended up getting knocked out and I'm like, wow, man, I'm messed up or embarrassed. It can be very embarrassing to get your ass kicked. (laughs) You know, when you're supposed to be this bad, you know, great fighter or whatever. And you know, you get beat by someone that's, smaller than you maybe weaker than you or whatever and they just got more heart or whatever maybe they do have more skill and you lose you know it, it's, it's humbling yeah it's humbling cool man so why don't we uh we go a little bit into your uh you know your uh your dog your your dog career with uh with rhino and you know maybe some of uh some of the difficulties you had uh with him like you know raising him as a puppy or you know some things that could help our listeners well this dog rhino was honestly he was best he was amazing dog and uh way too much dog for me at the point i was at i mean if i know even what i know now you know and you know i'm not at at the level you are Oscar or anything like that because I mean you obviously put put in the time you put in the work and you've got some natural talent you know that's what it is you have to put in the work you have to have some natural talent and you have to have the drive to just keep at it because the dog sports there's not a lot of money to be made it costs you a lot of money it takes a lot of time because you got to track you got to do obedient right. stuff. You got to do protection stuff. So there's three phases of triathlon. Right. But so so is Thai boxing. You got to run. You got to stay in shape. You got to stay on your diet. You got to practice your clinch work. You got to do your pad work. You got to do your sparring. Then you got to do some boxing for your hands. So it's all, to me, it's all the same. Anyway, but the thing with dogs, yeah, he was way too much dog for me at the level <laughs> I was at. And I remember getting getting bit 
because he, I was giving him a correction with a pinch collar. When he turned about 10 months, almost a year, when he started getting that testosterone, this was, he was a 100-pound shepherd. He was a big boy. Hard biter. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, no fear, too. I mean, he, was, he wasn't mean. He was stable, but he was just, he had a lot of confidence. He would walk in a room and, like, I'm the alpha here. You know, and that's what I liked about him too. Yeah. But he was too much dog for me at that time. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And and Nellie Ratchko, Nellie's awesome. She like hooked me up with the best dog. I was like, man, I, I like your dog Lexi at the time, the big right. sable shepherd like that. Man, he's got all that confidence. Oh, really? Wow, there's a breeding in Europe right now with the mother of, of Lexi. Do you want one? You know, I might be able to get you one. I was like, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, that he, he was a nice and dog. And Nellie's exposed us to a lot of trainers from all over Europe, too, to have, mm-hmm. you know, she's almost like a Terran Butler to have someone like that to uh, be around in our area. We're pretty lucky. Yep. But anyway, so yeah, he was too much dog. I remember about a year, year old, he started, you know, getting that confidence going. And I gave him a correction on a pinch collar because he was like, we were on a walk and he was barking or like fence fighting with another dog that was in a yard and he redirected on me. Bam. Wow. A couple times, man, he was fucking me up. <laughs> and at that point I was like, I need to learn more about dog training or I'm not going to make it with this dog. This guy's going to hurt me bad. Right. And I remember it was, uh, uh, Lionel Madden actually was uh, the one that was telling me, oh, Walter, you got to get a, one of those dominant dog collars. And uh, I remember seeing about, the, and it's just the Caesar Milan, everybody uses them. You just, you know, you hang them up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, hang them a little bit. And it's not like you're going to choke them out, mm-hmm. but enough to, so he submits. So you realize, and you stay very calm. You don't escalate with them. Give them his correction and let them go. And then they start to dog train all psychology. I mean, it's all psychology. You know what I found too with dogs? So simple. Just the level that you're at is so important. If you go down on the ground with the dog, especially with a real dominant dog, which most our dogs are, especially the males, they're higher up than you, you might get bit. I mean, the especially the, with a dog like that, like, you know, like Rhino, or oh, like yeah. a, that's very full of himself. Yeah. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna take over the situation. You're gonna be, you know, one of their litter mates. Yeah, it's. A, a, do you think that you were maybe not as hard with him, like when he was younger? That he, I didn't know what I was doing, and I was hard in the wrong ways. Got it. You know, I didn't know things about how to stay calm and give a firm correction. I didn't even know how to use the pinch collar properly. You know, I didn't know how to pop it and really, you know, give him like a horse bridle type of correction. Mm-hmm. I didn't. You didn't know how to do those things, you know? So we learned together. And that's, you know how it is. You get a dog like Waffle or a dog like that that has a lot of potential. And then you also adapt to them and you mm-hmm. sort of, you're a team. Yeah. And you start to adapt to that dog. And I had to adapt to this dog. Then after that, I got a female, which was a totally different scene. And I had to change my dog training 
And the, the different dogs can make you a better trainer. You can't just be an all hard, like kick ass, you know, hard correction type right. of trainer because sometimes that is not what's needed. Yeah. Yeah. So I had another dog after that. She was a female. And I remember taking her out to the field and she was like getting all spooked, you know, coming out to the field and nervous. She was almost like a 10 year old girl. That's like, I don't want to do it. Right. You know? And, uh, she'd come up to me and she would like hug me, you know, like put her paws up on me right. and hug me. Like I'm afraid or whatever. I'm nervous. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, come on, get down off me. Go, go. We're going to go training. Those foos, you know, heal. Mm -hmm. And, one day, I just said, you know what? Okay, let's hug it out. And I just like, okay. So I just hugged the dog for about 20 seconds or whatever. And then we went on the field, and she was good. She was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and she started looking up, prancing and healing real nice. And I was like, wow. I love that. I may have found something. Yeah, I love it. So I started doing that. She'd come out. She was nervous. She jumped on with both paws, like kind of hugging me. So, okay. Boom, 10 seconds or whatever. Then we go out in the field. Oh, happy. Let's go. Hey, that that's awesome. That's a, that's for you guys uh, listening right now. That right there, I think is what it's all about. Like you, cause I think sometimes we go, Oh no, like ignore them. If they're being shy, ignore them. Cause you're just feeding into it. But you were like, you know what? I'm just going to accept it. And you saw that it made a difference. And you're like, Oh, that worked. Like I'm going to, you know, keep doing that. If she's offering it. And I think that's what dog training is about. It's just like, yo, figuring out what works best. And don't just, just because somebody tells you not to do something doesn't mean that that is what is correct for your dog. And so exactly. that that's awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, there's more, bro. There's more. That dog ended up getting a hundred point, a hundred point track. Wow. With uh, Johannes Grew, the German judge that passed away. A yeah. while back, and uh, he was no like cakewalk either. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, and tracking, I remember Nelly telling me we were tracking, and she was the same way with tracking go out, see the flag, turn around, run back to my truck. <laughs> she saw it as a little bit stressful, almost. Yeah, like, oh, shit, I don't want to do this. And I did the same thing, I had a lot of patience. and. Nelly was the one that said, man, Walter, you, I, I, I don't know if I would have kept going with that dog at, at that point, but cause you know, some dog trainers, they get a lot more dogs. They're like, Hey, you know, if I it doesn't fit, they just, yeah, yeah I'll move on to another mm -hmm. one. Well, I couldn't do that. And I, that's not really my character anyway. I want to kind of fi fix the, I want to figure it out. Right. So I ended up figuring that dog out with tracking and her style of tracking was very slow and meticulous. She was always methodical, almost, almost like a fucking scientist. I've got to examine every granule of dirt. <laughs> oh, there's a piece of food. Right. Oh my God, there's an article. <sighs> Perfectly. And just staring at it. Right. And I'd reward her. And then I started tracking her every day. And it got better and better and better. Next thing you know, 100-point track. Awesome. So, And that's what it's about, man, those little wins, you know, those little pieces of like, man, like, oh, she did good today. The next day, oh, man, she she messed up today, but she learned here. Or she did, you know, we did this. And then you all of a sudden. Them. And then, then all of a sudden you go out there and you knock out a, yeah. you know, 100-point track. You're like, oh, 
that but, that was it right there. I mean, that's how we teach positions. That's how we teach behaviors, right? Piece Everything. by piece. Yep. Piece by piece by piece. Same with the kick or with the punch. You right. don't just go punch the bag, right? You got to break it down for a little bit. I know you, Oscar, you're a big yeah, advocate yeah. for that in dog training as well. Piece by piece by piece. And then before you know it, put it together as a whole and you have what you're looking for. No doubt. Yeah, and I think at the I think at the at the end of the day, whether it be fighting or dogs or gun, like uh, finding that like love in the process of it, like in that process, yeah. that's where it's at, right? Because and actually, I want to hear from you from like you won big big championships. I mean, you know, you were a world champion. Uh, what what was this one right here? The uh, middleweight champion, right? Yeah, or, U.S. champ. Yeah, so you're the U.S. champ. Um, when you reach that point in your career, like was that like a like a like a because like for me if i if if i win a competition it was like cool but then it was like oh like i i almost feel like the process of getting there was a lot more fun i agree than the actual like win i feel the same way actually my greatest accomplishment that i feel was when in thailand they asked me to carry the sityatong name because the sityatong name and they didn't ask me either Kriyatong, this man right here. The Sityatong means, sit comes from the Thai word luksit, means student. Yadtong, uh, yod means high. Uh, a yadtong is, is the ball on the top of a flagpole. And what it translates to is a flag that flies above all, like a elite of the elite. But it also translates to looks at Yadtong Senanan, which means students of Yadtong Senanan. So you're the lead of the elite and the student of Yadtong Senanan, who's known as the greatest teacher of Muay Thai that ever lived. Wow. He died in 2000, oh, it was like seven years ago, nine years ago now. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, uh, wow, awesome guy too. He came to the States, you know, and, and, Went to my house. He was he was here at the camp before, and uh, he was. Here's the kind of guy he was. 2003, he won the Thai lottery. He, yeah, I think it was a couple. wasn't a lot like an American lottery, but I think it was like a million, two million, you know, U.S. equivalent. He gave all the money away to the poor. Wow. People were literally lining up at the camp. And telling them what happened to him and why they needed money. And he was issuing out like, you know, 50,000 baht to this one. When I went back the next year, and I went to Thailand every year for a long time, I uh, noticed all the trainers had BMWs now and (laughs) new houses and stuff. So, I mean, he was the type of guy... He was like almost like a spiritual mentor to all of us. You know, he was my mentor. And you, you know, get to bring, sure. I mean, to you get to have your your gym. I mean, your your place of yeah. So when they when I won the, that fight at Patia Stadium, they had a meeting the next day at the camp, and all the the big wheels were sitting around and. My coach at the time, Gong Talani, kind of set it up. I, I knew he did because they heard that my wife and I, my wife is a well-known martial artist, June Castro, and uh, they found out, you know, her and I were starting our own gym in California. And after I won that, that big fight, 
they uh, said, Walter, you know, your new gym that you're going to open up in California, you know it's going to be the new Sityatong on the West Coast. You understand me, right, boy? <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was like a direct order. Like, how did, the, how did that feel, man? I was like, yes, sir. Cup Coon Cup. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I mean, I was like, honestly, at that point, I was like, I already made it. I made it. It was like better than money, better than nothing. These guys were my mentors and... I idolized them coming up, man. It's like, you know, in dog training, you have your mentors and people you really look mm-hmm. up to. In fighting, I had people I looked up to. And in, in shooting, I have people I look up to, too. I mean, I was very influenced by uh, J.J. Ricasa and Bob Vogel and Taryn Butler, you know, and uh, a lot of others. And uh, like in any sport, it's really important to have mentors, no matter what you're going into. And in life, you know, as kids, like we touched on, you know, mentoring kids that are going down the wrong road and are probably going to wind up in prison if they don't get into an outlet. Sports is a really good one, mm-hmm. you know. So is dog training. I'd yeah. like to see the, you know, the dog sports really take off because it's just so good for your organizational skills and your direction, the animals being able to how to handle a dog in a veterinary sense. I, I noticed so much, you know, that I've learned and, you know, my dog has got in, uh, you know, diarrhea and you got to give him some flats. Yeah. You start learning everything. Yeah. Yeah, You start to know you were almost like little vet techs. Yeah, man, Walter. Well, I I know that, you know, your, your time is valuable, but I do, I do want to ask you one last thing and then we could leave it after that, man. Like, um, like the way you were talking about your your mentor right now, I feel like, you know, there's like a big connection there. And I, I have a big connection with, you know, with my mentor. Um, what is what is just a, a piece of advice or or something that, that you could give to our, our listeners? You know what I mean? Maybe something that he taught you or just something that you've learned over the years that they, that they could take on uh, in whatever they do, not just dog training, but maybe, you know, everyday life. I think it's important when you get to a certain point and you've achieved a few things that you have to carry the message and you have to share those things with others because those, whether it's dog training or Muay Thai or whatever, the traditions will die without that, you know? And in order to carry on those sports and those traditions, you have to share them and you have to, there has to be no secrets. I love so, that. That's good. Uh, so, I mean, I know I'd already talked to you about, you know, our show and tell portion, but you pretty much did that all throughout the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, you showed us the entire gym and there's just memorabilia everywhere. Um, but is there one thing that you would really like, you know, one item in this gym that you would really like to share with the people? Wow. I mean, uh, like, like, like the one that really, like, it, and it could be about anything, but the one that just, you know, it means the most to you. It could be a picture. Um, it could be anything. Gosh. I mean, I have a couple things. I have the prayer to take off the, the Mong Khans written out by Kru Yatong himself in uh, ancient Thai. It's called Bali language. Only the monks could read it. I mean, that's not something that they're going to just give out to anybody. Wow. 
You know, I have that. I have the flag that the Navy SEALs gave me. I trained some of those guys, and uh, it was flown over Baghdad, Iraq in 2016, you know, and that's like super, wow. That's awesome. It's major. You know, cool. So. And, and uh, what we've seen, uh, we, we'll make sure we put uh, pictures of those uh, yeah. so you guys get all, all the viewers get check out or whatever. Um, man, I think I think we're gonna wrap it up, man. I think uh, yeah, we've been going at it for over an hour. I'm yeah, sure we so, could go hey, longer. Hey, man, this is awesome. I mean, <laughs> thanks uh, for having you. Me. Really, you really gave us some uh, some good knowledge, and I really appreciate your time. And uh, people want to find you, man. Where can they uh, Where can they look you up? Uh, Walter McLowski on uh, Facebook, and uh, yeah, I had a really cool uh, Instagram going for a while, but I got hacked. It happens. A lot yep. of people. You're going through that these days. Now it's a official underscore Walter S Y T. So you can, official Walter S Y T. And then the school of uh, your, your Sit Yatong L A. Break it into three parts: S I T Y O D T O N G L A dot com. Awesome, awesome. And I'll put links to those and uh, you know in the in the description of all of the shows, so they can find all of your socials and your yep. website. Cool, man. So thank you all for joining us. And remember, elevate your mind. Elevate your canine. Let's go. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.